0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, trashotroncom slash agony. The new memoir by Shannon Leon-Powler is Traveling with Ghosts. Thank you for joining me, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Shannon, this book starts off with a tragedy that has essentially defined your life. What was that tragedy? How did that unfold?
1: So when I was 28 years old, I was traveling with my 25-year-old fiancé in Thailand, and he was stung and killed by a box jellyfish.
0: This is a deadly species uh, to which uh, more vests probably need to be attributed to talk about this jellyfish.
1: So... Box jellyfish were previously thought to be confined to northern Australia, but with global warming, their populations have been expanding and increasing and becoming much less predictable. So there have been deaths all over the tropics now. Um, Thailand is a place that I've done more research, and there have been six confirmed deaths since Sean's death in 2002, and I think there have been many more unconfirmed deaths and a lot of near deaths as well.
0: Talk about being in the ocean and in that moment you've spent m- so much of your life in the ocean the ocean has really defined you
1: mm, yeah and it's always been a huge part of me. Um, when we were first in the water, Sean was always asking about shark attacks and you know, I, I remember thinking how ridiculous that was a shark attack in Thailand and when he was initially stung, something bumped me first in the water and it felt big, it felt heavy so I thought it was a stingray and I had no idea what was going on until he was dead because um, I'd, I'd been with people stung i'd been with people who'd been stung by stingrays before and i knew it was incredibly painful i've seen it um, so i wasn't surprised that that he was acting the way he was acting and i i could not have been more shocked when he died
0: your youth in la jolla with your grandfather mm-hmm. who was a marine biologist uh led you to a phd at uc santa cruz yep. Talk about choosing Santa Cruz and marine biology.
1: Well, I always wanted to do marine biology. I decided when I was eight years old I wanted to be a marine biologist. So, my grandfather was a physical oceanographer, so he studied currents and riptides and really, really large scale water movements. Whereas I was always much more drawn to the animals, and so I wanted to do marine biology. And like many, budding marine biologist. What I was really interested in was marine mammals, so whales, seals, dolphins. Um, so there's, there aren't that many schools that really specialize in marine mammals. And I applied to a handful of them, and I was really lucky to be selected by Dan Costa. We had an interview on the phone. Actually, while I was with Sean in Slovenia, I was backpacking around And I had my first interview on the phone with Dan Costa. And Dan Costa said, you are American, right? Because you've got a really funny Australian accent going. Because I'd lived in Australia for a while and I was traveling with an Australian. Um, And Dan and I had this great idea to study Australian sea lions, the development of diving. So how the young sea lions learn how to dive. And how could I say no to that? Living in Santa Cruz and studying Australian sea lions.
0: The power of this book is the way you you became, I think, unstuck in time. And this mm-hmm. book goes back and forth between all your travels. So it works as a, a travel log, too. But you are traveling, for the most part, not with another person, but with grief. Yeah. And that, grief is not something that, in your experience, happens the way we see it in the media, is it?
1: No. No, for me, it, it was it was far more intense. And it took a lot longer. Um, I mean, I had people who kind of were saying... It's been a couple of weeks now, so everything's fine now, right? And I just thought, I'm nowhere near thinking everything is fine. Um, so for me, it was a lot longer and it was a lot harder than anything I anticipated. But yes, it, w- it was a constant companion while I was traveling through these countries.
0: On the beach in Thailand, you met uh, two young women from Israel, and what's so wonderful is that for the first half of the book, we don't even learn their names. Yeah. And then by the time we learn their names, we already really love them. So, And they are great characters. One of your strengths in this book is creating a, a gallery of great characters.
1: So Talia and Anat, um, one of the reasons I didn't want their names earlier, and my editor queried it. She thought it would be nice to bring in their names earlier, but I didn't know their names for so long. I had been through so much with them before I knew their names. So they were there on the beach when Sean died. They followed by foot to the clinic. They were there when he was pronounced dead. They stayed that entire night with me until we could get a key to keep him cold at the temple. And then they showed up the next morning to take me to the police station where I was requested to be. And they stayed with me that entire day at the police station. And I didn't learn their names till the end of that day. So I had already been through an incredible amount with them before I knew their names. And I guess I wanted that to kind of be mimicked in the reader's experience, that they didn't need to know their names, that there wasn't a formal, hey, my name's Shannon. Hi, I'm Talia. It was much more, it was it was beyond names, I guess. I mean, it was so human and so raw. That's
0: that's exactly it. You were beyond names, yeah. I think. And that that's where you are for, I think, much of this book. And that's yeah. why... When you were traveling in Eastern Europe, you found comfort in being among people when you couldn't understand their language.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was, the, I think, because I felt so emotionally alone. I wanted that to be reflected in the physical world around me as well. Do you think you'll ever recover? I don't. I don't really like to use that word. Um, I think that. It's become less constricting. It's become less overwhelming. But no, I would never say that I will recover from Sean's death or that I will move past it or get over it. Um, I think I'll always love him. I think I will always miss him. I think about him just about every day. And it's ironic that I have now loved him dead longer than I knew him alive. And that seems like it shouldn't work that way. It seems like I should get over it maybe. But I guess I've gotten to a point where I'm okay with that. I think it's harder for some people in my life, my brother in particular, would really like me to move past it, kind of be the person I was before Sean died. But I've it's who I am now. I can't imagine I can't imagine being the girl I was before he died.
0: Well, I think in the book you make it quite clear that what happened to you experiencing that kind of trauma with that kind of intensity at that close a range, because you were right there, it's like uh, an asteroid hitting a planet—it's yeah. not the same planet afterwards. No,
1: and it felt like a different planet. I mean, I felt like a different person. I used to tell my parents that I could—I can see a photo, an undated photo—and I know if it was before, or after Sean died. I just—I look different. I'm a different person, and I feel like a different person. So, yeah, I think that's a—that's a—it's a good analogy. It, it felt like a totally different planet.
0: Writing this book. Must have been a challenge. Did you feel like you had to relive those uh, scenes you wrote?
1: I did, um, and I think in a lot of ways it was cathartic. I think at the beginning, I needed to process and go through it that way. I found it actually almost a relief to kind of put it all on paper and put it down in a way that made sense. I mean, one thing that I never talked about with with anyone until I started writing the book was that I'd I'd run back to put a dress on, that I was topless when he died, and I ran and I put a dress on, and then I went to go get fr- go get help after he'd collapsed, and I never told anyone that until I started writing the book, and that things like that um, made it when I put it on paper, I think it made I don't know if I've forgiven myself, but I could see where I could see where I was coming from.
0: I think that by putting it on paper you were externalizing it. Hmm. By getting it outside of yourself, yeah. you're able to like turn around and look at it and, yeah. and
1: look at it how someone else might see it.
0: In this book, I think your prose is really beautiful. It's very direct. You do a great job of creating yourself as a character. You wrote a lot of journals. You mm-hmm. talk the book talks about writing journals constantly through all your travels. How much of the journals made it into the book?
1: Quite a lot. Um, There are direct lines that made it into the book. Then there are some lines that got massaged a little bit. But a lot of the thoughts and the emotions, um, the sentiments, the descriptions certainly are all taken pretty much directly from my page. I could not have written this book without the journals.
0: The asynchronous chronology of the book Mm. really works for the reader it provides tension, it keeps us turning the pages. But there are also these stunning juxtapositions where you'll take us back to the past and we'll see something that we already know. Mm-hmm. You, we'll see you experiencing something that we already know isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of this is a, your literary approach to your life. Early on in the book, you talk about chapter one and chapter mm-hmm. two. Yeah. And then
1: yeah.
0: way down. And towards the end, we realized that you were talking about Chapter 3.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: What, tell us a little bit about those chapters.
1: So Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 is actually how Sean always referred to our relationship. Because we got we met in Barcelona, we got together, and then we broke up, and then we got back together. And so he always talked about Chapter 1 and Chapter 2. Um, and they were quite different relationships. I mean, in Chapter 1, we were very young. Um, how young? You know, just I was, I was 24 and he was 22. When we first met, and we were backpacking through Europe. I mean, we—I hadn't been accepted yet into the PhD program. I'd been teaching scuba diving. He had a working visa for Ireland. I mean, we—we we really didn't have much of a care in the world. And then, when we got back together, I was in my PhD program. I was studying Australian sea lions. He was now working for Cadbury Schweppes. We, you know, we were paying rent. We were paying bills. We still weren't—we weren't old. We thought we were, but I was 28. He was 25 when he died. Um, And yeah, what we always thought would be the next chapter was, so he died in August of 2002, and in October we were supposed to move in together. We were going to move in together in Melbourne, and we were going to have kind of finally the day-to-day relationship that we'd never had, you know, the hanging up the laundry and the getting the groceries and emptying the dishwasher and the really kind of banal boring stuff that we'd never really had a chance to do. And it, it was right around the corner, I just, I didn't see any reason why it wouldn't happen. And so... That's. I'd always thought that was the next chapter.
0: The new book by Shannon Leon Fowler is *Traveling with Ghosts*. Thank you for joining me, Shannon.
1: Thanks for having me, Rick.
0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report. Trashultron.com/Agony.